songwriting, and we say this a lot even now, it's it's a game built on hope. The only reason I, you get up tomorrow on Monday morning and go write a song is because there's a chance somebody might cut it. There's a chance you might write Song of the Year tomorrow. You know, that's pretty good motivation. Welcome to the Waiting Room series, a collection of stories from people just like you from all walks of life who've taken their turn with patience. I'm your host, Libby Olerich, and this episode is part one of two featuring Lee and Jana Miller. Lee is an award-winning songwriter with several country hits, including The World by Brad Paisley, You're Gonna Miss This by Trace Atkins, Southern Girl by Tim McGraw, and It Ain't My Fault, recorded by Brothers Osborne. He is fully dedicated to the craft and will amuse you with his dry wit, song lyrics, and endless stories about family vacations. His wife, Jaina, is a former nurse practitioner and mother of their four children. The Millers are among some of my favorite people, and to hear them bounce off each other and share their story in such a raw fashion gave me hope during tough times. In part one, we talk about how Lee and Jaina met, when they moved to Nashville with only $30 to their name, and the waiting season Lee endured to live his dream as a songwriter on Music Row. I sat down with Lee and Jaina in their home in Franklin to discuss what it was like leaning on each other to thrive in Nashville, and why Lee's pursuit of a songwriting career was and still is a true waiting game in its own regard. This interview in its entirety was recorded on Father's Day last year, and next Sunday, June 17th, is the year-to-day anniversary. As a tribute to Father's Day next week, I'm releasing part two where we discuss Lee and Jana's challenges with infertility and the series of events that led adoption to choose them. Lastly, before I share my time with the Millers, I want to preface that I'm pretty quiet in these episodes for a good reason. Lee and Jana's understanding of patience is so applicable to today, and I'm looking forward to letting you hear them open up about their times in the waiting room. I think you're, you start, you're better storyteller. So I'll listen to you and then I'll correct you if you're wrong. Well, I had moved to Nashville in June and was going back to uh, Kentucky for Thanksgiving weekend. And um, this girl who I, who I was friends with, who had very, very briefly kind of dated, um, just called to see if I was coming in for Thanksgiving. Was I playing with the old band? And I said yes. And we were playing this little terrible dive in this little little bitty town in Kentucky. And it was such a terrible place that she wouldn't come by herself, so she brought a couple of friends. Yeah. And that was November 27th. And um, she walked in, and I said, who's the brunette? <laughs> and she told me, and... Um, we were married May 16th. Five and a half five months. And a half oh months my later. God. I yeah. love it. <laughs> is that yeah. brief? Is that that brief probably isn't a good story about waiting. <laughs> 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 that was kind of like yeah. super quick. Well, yeah. what was worth it about waiting for her? Because I know there's a waiting in that, waiting for that person. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I'm probably not the best for, uh, for that topic. I, uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to make it in Nashville. I wanted, I had gone to uh, college and got a degree in classical music, and all of that was just in preparation for coming to Nashville. Mm. You know, as long as I can remember, that was the plan, um, and it was way over my head. And so, I thought, well, I'll spend the next four years after high school, and I'll do something that'll just make me a better musician. It's all in, that's all. I know interest in. The world of classical music is a profession, but it certainly would, uh, you know, train me better as a as a musician, and, mm-hmm. and so that's what I did. I basically took lessons for four years and orchestration and 
composition and got a degree in classical music composition. And that was, you know, 24-7, that's all I, all I thought about. And just playing in honky-tonks on the side at night and weekends. And, uh, and I was a terrible dater. I just had no, I had no interest. I'd never met anybody that I really had really two mm-hmm. thoughts about. They were just kind of, they were a distraction, you know, a time killer. Um, no thought about marriage. I, I wasn't against it one day, but I had a lot of work to do before I ever even considered any, any of that. Yeah. Um, and of course I got to Nashville and it was as brutal as Nashville is on the young musician. And, you know, I'm just trying to figure it out and, you know, doing what you can to pay the bills and, and poor and terrified because everyone in town, every waiter in town played better than me. Yeah. You know, so I'm working and then she literally, I mean, she walked in and I was like, well, well, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be good for a book about making good life decisions in love because I really didn't second guess it much. I was going to say, well, you're fantastic. And um, she was supposed to be in college and she skipped a lot of school and drove down here a lot to see me. And I, I said immediately, I thought, well, she's she's fantastic and um i really haven't i don't really remember much about the process there wasn't a lot of prayer um, just to be honest it was like that kind of came after we got it kind of did but i just <laughs> yeah. said this this is yeah this makes sense and and we had talked about it i mean f- from the beginning kind of mm-hmm. like this you know i think so i think so too and um at some point in january i, I have no idea the date i bought uh, a ring that i couldn't afford even if it was a $400 ring, but I couldn't afford it anyway. And I thought, well, I'll wait till Valentine's Day. And um, I don't know, it was middle of January and she was down for a couple of days and I just reached around the corner and got it and just said, here. And she said, yes. And, um, and she said, you know, we started talking about when and she said, well, if we do it in May, I get out of college. She had one more year of college after that. She says, let's do it as soon as I get out of school for the summer, and then we can be together all summer before I go back to school. And so we did, and then August she went back to college, lived with her parents for one more year until she finished nursing school. And just all happened from there. It did. I mean, I, I don't, um, I don't know. She, she tells the story that the night before the wedding, um, we were sitting in the car, and she says, it's the only when you said, "Are you sure about this?" But you just kind of said, "You know, I'm, you know, this isn't a trial thing. I don't. I'm. I'm not going to get divorced or something." And we'd never even talked about it not working. And I said, "No, I'm good. I have no. I have yeah, no it, second." Thoughts. At that point, like it just really hit me how fast this had all happened. Yeah. And I wasn't second guessing it at all, but I just wanted to make because we really it's crazy. We didn't, know we didn't really know each other. It just I've described it to other people, and it sounds so weird and everything, but. Honestly, when I met, it just felt like I was home. Mm. Like, and I couldn't explain that really because it made no sense to just like pick up and leave and go to, you know, Nashville four hours away from my family with somebody I really didn't know and didn't, we didn't really have a chance to date. And I was up front, I said, you know, uh, I'm I'm trying to to make it. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means. But I will never live in Kentucky. I will never come back here. There will never be a fallback to this. when we so go, this you're is... going to do this. We're never coming back here. Mm. Nothing in my life will ever be here. 
And she said, okay. Yeah, and it, it really didn't make sense, but that the night before we got married, I just remember we were sitting there, and I'm like, you realize, like, I'm not playing around with this. Like, this isn't, not that I thought he was, but I'm like, I'm not getting divorced. Like, that word isn't allowed in this. And he was like, yeah, it's not. And it just, it just worked. It wasn't, I mean, it's not a great story about waiting, but that's the how it all started. But I think, too, one thing for us, and this might go into more questions that you'll have, is, um, I mean, we literally had no money. We had no honeymoon. We got married, and we drove back to Nashville, and two days later, he did a gig at the VFW because we needed the $30. So we never went on a honeymoon. We never, you know, I don't know we I just think it's, started I think it's something about life. waiting because was, we weren't in a hurry. Um, like, I, I truly felt like the day I met her, the night I met her, that was settled. And everything else, nothing else in my life was settled. I mean, everything was just, who knows what's going to happen. Um, I wasn't really scared about even that. I just knew that it was it was a long way away, and I didn't even know where the road was Success to Success was a long way Success away. was a long way away. Do you feel like having, like your partner in crime settled did that help these other areas easier to to deal with so or is it just kind of are the two separated for you i i I thought it was i mean it helped it it helped emotionally i mean you had somebody to go through it with yeah right i didn't have that thought at the beginning i just thought okay well that's the girl Mm -hmm. that's easy i mean that's not even i don't even second guess that you know um I didn't really have to worry about that, so I just kind of went back to being frantic about the rest of it. Um, I just don't. There was never a. She didn't come into into this relationship saying. This needs, this needs to happen quicker. This needs to happen. Do you have a time frame, mm. or what can we do to to, to speed this along? Um, you know, she, you know, was not even through with nursing school. You know, so we we were a long way from any sort of way to even know how we we're going to pay the bills, and we didn't spend a lot of energy on any of that. That that all was just going to happen, however it was going to happen. And we didn't know even really what area of the music business you would even be. No, in. at the time we I just thought, knew you wanted to make a living doing something in the music. I business. wanted to play on the road for. I wanted to play. In somebody's band, I wanted it to be a touring national recording artist. You know, I wanted to be somebody's fiddle player mm-hmm. or somebody's, you know, the ideal thing would have been, like you utility know, player. some cool band, you know, that was having hit records and I was the utility guy. You know, I was playing arenas and, and traveling all over the country in the bus and I stood over on the end of the stage and I played mm-hmm. all the different instruments and maybe sang a harmony part and that was really that was the dream for a long time but we never had a time frame did we i mean like looking back we just it was going to happen when it it wasn't like we said okay if this doesn't happen in five years you're going to get a regular job or we're going to go somewhere else there was we no we waited on that we didn't push we Mm -hmm. didn't really you know and then Every relationship you made was a 
was it you know that would be a good day and and I do think the fact that we were young married at a time when there wasn't social media helped mm-hmm. yeah. because we weren't comparing how slow it was to how fast it seemed for other people mm-hmm. you know we didn't yeah. really other than our little small group of people who we had met and were friends with you know it's not like you guys now that have you know immediate everybody else looks like their life is going so much better or so much faster or so much their careers or we just kind of were able to kind of like let it simmer and mm-hmm. I mean not that it wasn't frustrating because there was times that I mean it was crazy how little we had to live on but I'll say but, this we we moved away and lived on an island we had very little we had we had no contact with friends from before mm-mm. because we kind of walked away and it was I you know I, I, I sat in a room and practiced and practiced and then I took lessons and then I went out at night and sat in with bands and played and, and it was there was no I remember realizing like how serious this was when we he would go out and do a gig and back then like he would work from like nine to midnight or one in the morning and make thirty five dollars and he would take that and, and get a fiddle lesson and I'm like we need groceries <laughs> like <laughs> this was kind of crazy and you know so just kind of like and I would keep a log. I'd get up in the morning yeah. and, and I would I would practice. Oh, he practiced eight six, hours, six to ten hours a day. And Easy. you know, yeah. you're sitting, which I couldn't use the phone because back then, I mean, long distance, you had to pay for. So I wasn't spending time on the phone talking to family, and so we kind of just. It was years before cell phones. Yeah, I mean, it was. So kind it was crazy just us. So you didn't have the, you know, she didn't have the, you know, the girlfriends who you know were getting pregnant or th- there was really nothing to compare it to we didn't have any family Other than that church was, friends that's you well know. I, mean, I mean church became very very important because we plugged in and then we were we were always Sunday school people so we were in we were always in young married Sunday school and so you you had those new relationships but I mean you had to build those but from, you weren't from nothing daily and hourly I mean it took a long time to build up into where you had friends I remember yeah. you not having any friends yeah I remember me sitting around being you know up to my ears and violin rosin and you sitting there going what am i, I don't know do? anybody i remember her saying i will never we lived in donaldson in donaldson in hermitage donaldson and hermitage yeah. well hermitage and then donaldson and and i remember her saying i will never drive to downtown nashville there is nothing down there i would ever need I'm like it's what would i ever go to downtown nashville yeah i mean for? like it just seemed like that was ridiculous like a waste of time yeah yeah i didn't know it was okay i'm good right here so, yes, yeah, so at the beginning, we waited for success, and by success, I mean able to buy groceries, <laughs> um, really with no timetable or, or much of a plan, and, and it was fun. Yeah. It, was, no one, it, was, it wasn't fun. It was, it was hard, but not because it was taking a long time. Yeah. I mean, I was 23, Early and 20s. she was 22. Was it more of that uncertainty of not knowing what was to come? Yeah, or what and to do. And not knowing yeah. if you're doing the right, like, am I going down the right path? Mm-hmm. You know, am I, am I knocking like, on the wrong door? Am I affiliating myself with the wrong people? And I was going out, you know, I remember I would go out to a, a place in Hendersonville called Bell Cove. It was just kind of local hang where all these musicians went. But by the, by, I mean, like Ricky Skaggs. Like, I remember going and sitting in with Bill Monroe. Mm-hmm. And... And the whole time thinking, I'm not good enough to do this. I mean, so 
I was competing with the best musicians in the world. You know, maybe that helped my patience because, you know, I was, as a classically trained musician, the one thing I was aware of was my own limitations. You know, so it was like, yeah, it was hard and I knew how far I had to go. Yeah. But then that led to songwriting. When did you decide that songwriting was going to be what you'd focus on? Playing in a club one night, I met somebody who knew somebody, and um, they asked to audition me for a... Um, and I had done some... like That was kind of what I was doing. I was preparing for auditions. I mean, I got the Tom T. Hall gig four, four weeks after I moved to town, playing mm-hmm. fiddle for Tom T. Hall. And I lasted three days, and he fired me. And so from there, I went on, I auditioned for Martina's very first band. And, uh, and they called me back for a callback. And so I wasn't just completely, you know, I was, no. I was on the edge of, of mm-hmm. you know, of one of these gigs that God kept me from getting. Thank, thank Closing God. doors. Yeah. Um, and at the it. time, we're like, ah, you know, because <laughs> oh we're like, we thought that was the worst thing in the world when you didn't get the Martina gig. Mm-hmm. Like we were pretty, because they had called you back and you felt really good about it. And then. I auditioned like, for how could that not be what you're supposed to I auditioned to for Lori Morgan and didn't get it. I auditioned for Whisper and Bill. I went out to Bill's house, and it's so funny because some of those guys now are dear friends of mine, including Bill. Um, and and we went through this long audition, and, and I remember they called me back, and they said, so here's the deal. We have to have a girl in the band, and we're hiring, we're hiring a fiddle player. We need a fiddle player and a keyboard player. If we hire a girl keyboard player, you've got the gig. But if we hire... A guy keyboard player, we're going to have to hire a girl fiddle player because we've got to have one girl to do these vocal parts. And so, sure enough, they found a, they ended up finding a guy piano player, and and you know, so it was like the, all, all that was going on. And so I, we kept plugging away doing what we were doing. And then somebody auditioned me to be in this trio that that some kind of there's, there's no names, but there's a record producer who had a little bit of success, and he put together this trio two two guys and a girl and uh and they put me in the in the thing playing um acoustic and mandolin and, and fiddle and, and singing and and they wanted to uh work it and write the project and record the project and shop for a record deal and so we we started every day that became my everyday thing we were we were writing every day and i'd never i'd never done that writing and then you would arrange it and then we'd go record it and then he had a little studio out in hickory hollow and if nobody was using the studio, I learned to use the studio. I learned studio there. You know, mm-hmm. every day I wasn't doing something else. I was in there making my own guitar vocals and learning how to record. And, and um, but that led to writing with better people, and that led to writing on Music Row through relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was uh, these these these. And again, I didn't know at the time I was waiting because I was just trying to figure it out. And again, I've gone from all of this struggle being in over my head as a musician, and now I'm a songwriter. And you know, I'd written songs for since high school. But I didn't, didn't, you know, you're faking it at this point. Yeah. And uh, now I'm on Music Row, and um, with people who were having hits, and and this was in the mid '90s, so the Music Row was music was huge and everything was booming selling. everyone was, was booming. getting a deal mm-hmm. it, yeah and um it was exciting and and i remember those first going driving to music row and i was just like and there wasn't this. any cocky new guys you guys were all oh, no, like no, no, making no. you you weren't cocky you, you walked were in and 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 i learned 
okay, I don't really know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but the first thing you saw when you wrote with somebody who was more, you know, down the road than you, is they didn't need me to help them write a song. They needed ideas, because they had already written everything there was to written, that was to write. So now, instead of practicing eight hours a day, I'm I'm at the, li- the library. I'm at the library and yeah. I'm reading and I'm writing page after page after page after page of song titles and ideas and concepts. And then when I go in to write with somebody that already has a publishing deal, how about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? And if you went long enough, they would go, oh, I've never heard that before. And then they would tell the other people, hey, this this new kid, it, it didn't matter if I was good or not at the time, because they were like, he's got ideas. Right with him. And so then I started getting in more rooms. Mm. And I was sitting at uh, API, uh, where they managed Joe Diffie, and they managed McGraw, oh McGraw at the beginning, and uh, Ty Herndon, and and it was exciting because you know Joe Diffie was their their big deal. Mm-hmm. McGraw had already had the first album out, but hadn't had a hit. And he he was kind of hanging out there, you know, waiting for his turn. But there were hit writers there, and uh, I was sitting in the little lounge, and Monty Criswell is sitting there, and uh, we introduced ourselves to each other, and he'd been there a little bit. He'd been hadn't been there longer than been about the same time as me but he'd come in just for songwriting so he hadn't wasted time with anything else he was right you know he was there and he was ready to go and and uh, he was writing for Millsap and uh, and we became he became my new best friend and we uh, we started spending a lot of time together and then he he got a deal at uh, at Hamstein and so now I'm writing with him, and I'm writing with people at Hampstead. I'm writing with Tony Martin, because Tony Martin was a big deal. Tony Martin was having hits, but Tony Martin also would love to hear new ideas. So now and I'm you had all the ideas, the same ideas. So I was the you know as ideas, 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 mm-hmm. and uh, and Monty was my greatest advocate. Monty, Monty was trying to open his own doors, and at the same time, if he got a chance, he would open the door for me, and and he went to Jeff Carlton. And Jeff Carlton called me, and and I was still at that time the little trio had dissolved, and I was trying to be an artist myself. And the same producer had cut an artist project on me, and we were shopping for record deals. Now we'd been a few years now of trying to get it wasn't working as a as a trio. We'd we'd all did you know we'd go in and we'd play, and and it wasn't we're waiting and we're waiting and and we're getting a listen but nobody's saying yes. And then that and that time period was getting a little frustrating. Like you know it's what six years in. Probably. No, it feels like it was, but that was. No, it was, uh, we married in '92, and four years. I got my publishing deal in '96. Yes, yeah, so four years of. But now she has gotten out of school. She's working. She's she's working full time, actually making money, and I'm, I'm I'm making a little bit of money, but I mean we're poverty level, I guess. But we were paying bills. <laughs> um, but now, yeah, as I, that, I, I kind of forgot that as we had a time there where I was trying to get a record deal, and I'm going and I'm auditioning, and and it's you know, it's not working, and um, and you keep thinking, you know, and but then I'm twenty, you know, you're twenty six, twenty mid twenties, and and uh, Jeff Carlton calls and says, you know, only the way only Jeff Carlton can. 
I don't care about your, you know, I don't care about your artist thing. Your, 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 well, he says, it doesn't, guitar players are a dime a dozen or whatever. He says, and I don't think you can sing at all. Awesome. And he says, but I think you can write songs. He says, if you, if you want to continue to try to get a record deal, then we're not interested. But if you want to be a songwriter, we might be able to do something. And I said, done. Mm. Yes. And um, September 1st, 1996, he signed me to Hamstein. And I knew... And you never looked back. I didn't. That's the funny thing. Like, all of that... Um, like, as soon as he said that, it was like everything became crystal clear as to what you were supposed to do. It's not like he's like, oh, regretting, like, dang, I wish I could have done that. Or yeah. It was like, oh, this is... Like, it just made sense then. And people say, do you still play the fiddle? And I'll say, I basically haven't played the fiddle se- since September 1st of 1996. <laughs> And, uh, Which makes me a little mad that I had to endure all of that time. She heard a lot of fiddle. <laughs> a lot of fiddle practicing. Yeah, so then then you become a songwriter. And then you start the wait for the, your first yeah, 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 right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> then, it, then the then wait really starts. Yeah. Um, how did you, I don't want to use the word cope with this, but like deal with, you know, waiting on your first hit and still waiting on hits after that. Like what, what kind of kept you, kept you going, kept you... You know, brainstorming for those song ideas. Once he got his uh, songwriting deal, it was 10 years before his first. He had a few cuts in between there, but mm-hmm. first number one was 10 years after that. No. It was about Pretty 10 years after I moved to Nashville. After you moved to Nashville. Yeah. Six it was years five after years. your. It was, yeah. it was five or six years before I had. Uh, five years. Five years before I had a hit. Um, Maybe it, that five years felt. Well, and I'll say this: I was at an amazing place. It, Hamstein, Tom Shapiro. I think when I signed there, Tom Shapiro had won BMI Writer of the Year twice, and then he would go on to win it two more times. And they had, you know, the, I mean, they had ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. They had the, they had Clint Black. They had Little Texas. There was a for the first time we were with big people. Yeah, yeah, like I remember that first year. The first Christmas party, we're like, oh crap! <laughs> we're getting our picture taken with ZZ Top at, yeah. at our company Christmas yeah. party. We're like, ZZ Top is at the company Christmas party, you yeah. know? And yeah, yeah, and, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, wow, you know. Um, so that, you know, it was that, as far as having to wait, it was very inspirational because you felt like, okay, if I can just write the right thing these people can get it recorded. I mean, yeah. prior to that, it was like, even if I happened to luck into something that was great, there wasn't a machine that could have really gotten a serious right. listen. Now, you know, just just by having the Hamstein Cumberland logo on the cassette tape mm-hmm. when it went out to be listened, somebody was going to stop what they're doing and they're going to listen. All of that was a really exciting time. It, yeah, was. Like it was. And we started getting cuts immediately. I mean, it was like, I, I you know, I remember... Um, pretty and then here's the thing once you get a cut you can't get a single until you get the cut when you get the cut you're at least in the game of getting a single Mm because there's going to be three singles off the record and there's only 12 songs and you've got one of them the question becomes have we heard what the next single is and no you didn't get it no you didn't get it but you had a chance you know and so that one on still going on (laughs) We still do. Well, and then, yeah, and again, it's like once you start to hear, and you, you might have the next single, you know, and then well, you don't have the next single, and then you mm-hmm. know that, that stuff started, and um, 
that's how you coped with it because I think that songwriting and we say this a lot even now it's it's a game built on hope the only reason you get up tomorrow Monday morning and go write a song is because there's a chance somebody might cut it there's a chance you might write song of the year tomorrow you know mm-hmm. so that's pretty good motivation you know? is that what you love about songwriting do you love that aspect aspect in some way just the just well, that's one of the things surprises I, I, think, well, I guess it's not a dead-end job I mean it's always you to some degree you're in control of your own destiny mm. now you can argue how you're not and how all of the powers of the universe that conspire against you um, but if I write something great tomorrow you know you've got a chance that somebody might agree and mm. it could be on the radio you know yeah. what was it like for you on the other side um you mean being married to a songwriter that or just watching watching him i think that's well it's hard i I came into it very naively i I loved music but i wasn't a musician Mm -hmm. like i always loved music um but i didn't understand what it was like to be creative i'm not a creative person by nature um and so it took a few years just to and we never really argued over it. I mean, like, but it took me a few years to... We didn't argue, or we didn't argue over that. No, we didn't ar- I mean, at the beginning, we really didn't argue over... I mean, we were just trying to feed ourselves. But it took me a while to, like, understand him. To mm-hmm. understand that he may actually, um, you know, schedule a writing appointment on Thanksgiving. Like, he may schedule... Like, you know, there's no... And if we're at a movie, he may get up and leave because he has to go write something down. Or he may, like, he's, it took me a while to understand, like, he's constantly working. The spontaneity of that. Always constant. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's never not working, which I think is hard for a lot of people to understand about. Like, songwriting looks, like, glamorous, I guess, to some people that, and like, because he can, quote, take off whenever he wants, but he never is not working. Yeah. You know? And so... It took a while to kind of understand that part of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of... Like, once we were in the thick of it all, like, it just took a while to realize that. Now it's so second nature. Like, I just... I mean, we've lived this for a long time now, so... And now it's funny, because when he thinks about maybe doing something different, it kind of freaks me out, because I love the life that we... Like, I love the kind of the adventure of next year you could be songwriter of the year next year like who knows like what the, yeah. like i kind of like the the ebb and flow yeah, of it yeah i mean it's crazy and it's it's nuts that you know we have no idea what he'll make next year it could be great it could be not great and we've just kind of learned to like ride that out and the great is so much more fun than the predictable life like mm-hmm. i'd rather have the unpredictable life than the which is kind of funny coming from somebody who's not creative but yeah so that i mean it took a while to kind of get used to how he was wired i always hated holidays because uh, mm-hmm. to me holidays he hates time off holidays are a group mondays that there's no work like if it's those a, monday holidays where everything is shut down <laughs> drives me out of my mind and if you don't know if something's open mm-hmm. oh it makes it crazy yeah. And even I've, like, never, I've never had a Labor Day or something like that written in my book. I'm never aware that that's even a thing. And I guarantee you there'll at least be one of those every year that I have booked something 
and then somebody will call and say hey dude we booked we booked Monday that's Labor Day and even today I'll probably say uh huh do you want to work so what are you saying are we not working <laughs> are we working on a boat like yeah. what's yeah. <laughs> And even holiday, like holidays, vacation, it's hard. like it, it's a labor of love for him to take a vacation. Like it's mm. because I was gonna say y'all travel a lot. Do a lot we of do family travel. travel trips. That's more in recent years, um, and the, the business changed a lot too. Um, and a couple of things. It's like when we, you know, when I was desperately trying to figure out if I was gonna be able to make a living and keep my publishing deal, then. Every, anything was fair game. Mm. I mean, it didn't matter. I would. I would written on Christmas morning if somebody wanted to. We went years and years and never went anywhere for one. Well, I mean, we didn't have any money, so that helped with that. But um, I feel like I feel like when Music Row was so busy and there were so many records being made, mm-hmm. it felt like. And I was young and hungry. I, I felt like we were. There were a lot of us that were just kind of frantic. And you, you would you, have never thought to leave town. You would go in at 10 in the morning because everyone started writing at 10. That was the standard. I don't ever remember anybody writing at 10.30. It was 10 o'clock. And then the publishers would leave at 6. That was kind of standard. Um, Most days you all had two appointments. You'd have a 10 and a 3. Whatever it was, the publishers would, shut it, would leave the building at 6. And they would come through the building and kind of get a head count of who was still there. And we would kind of police ourselves to say who's the last one out make sure you turn on the alarm Mm. and we were all there past the publishers one of us always had was setting the alarm when we left the building um and so therefore we might work weekends we absolutely would work holidays um as the business shrunk it felt like i don't know it felt like things kind of changed and you know we started working later you know, it became 10.30, and now it's kind of become 11, you know. Um, now, also, we used to come into 10, and we we would take a lunch break every day. Mm-hmm. So you'd leave, you go to lunch, you'd come back. So that's gone. You come at 11, you work until you're done, and you leave. I haven't had the I haven't had the code on a publisher building in 10 years, Yeah, probably. You know, just, I feel like that the culture of it changed a little bit. So, therefore, it's not that we don't work less than we used to. It's just that it it's not as frantic as it used to be, and it feels like um, time off. Everybody, a lot of people don't work in the summer anymore. Like a lot of mm-hmm. established, we're not even established writers. A lot of writers are just kind of, you know, July's kind of slow. Um, so, you know, she, because of that, she will schedule these trips in July 4th. Yeah. They're going to always go over July 4th because that's going to be a few days there where she can say, it's okay. Nobody's working. Yeah. <laughs> Literally no one. Literally and nobody. I've had to, like, over the years say, we are doing this. Like, you, and he needs it too. You know, just a, you're going to take a week off at Christmas. Like, you're going to just, and then our two weeks in the summer that we always take. And then sometimes there's a few. Extra but now, there. she's also been good. We found something that I also find interesting. Like, I couldn't just go do that obligatory beach trip every year he can't that, just sit at the beach that wears me out like, that's that that feels like we're wasting valuable time so, <laughs> so we, we do history stuff yeah we've been we on do. this mission to, to drive the kids to all 48 continental states before they're out of high school um which means some pretty, pretty fantastic road trips. griswold yeah. road trips um 
But we do history but, tours. Yeah, so we, yeah, they, they'll let we'll me stop at all houses. the president's houses. And we'll do, you know, if there's a... If Abe Lincoln wants to drink a cup of coffee there, we're going to go get our picture Well, taken. it's funny, too, because we'll have people that be like, your your summer vacation sounds horrible. Because <laughs> we're, rare, we're rarely ever in a city for more than two days. And then we're moving on, and we're moving on, we're moving on. They're like, that doesn't sound relaxing. Like, it's not relaxing. <laughs> it's fun. It's nonstop. Like, but the cool thing is... It's a is, big country. we got to go. we yeah. got to get to the next place. But the cool thing is, you know, the kids will be learning stuff at school. Like, this year, J.C. learned about the Alamo. So we're going this summer to see the Alamo. Like, so we're trying to make things that they learn at school real to them. You know, that, oh, there it is, you know. Um, whatever city we're in, we're going to go see whatever the thing is. So we'll be in Houston, so we're going to go to NASA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll be in San Antonio, so we'll go to the Alamo. Yeah. And then we do lots of president's houses and that kind of thing. We're going to New Orleans, so we're going on a swamp tour. You know. Yeah. And all the presidents in between. But that also helps him, because <laughs> it helps him. Like, he feels like, oh, I'm getting ideas. Hey, I was going to say like, that I saw yeah. ideas come from history tours. <laughs> <laughs> do they really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do they? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know about that. I I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy that. And you know, we did New England last year, so we did we did Philadelphia and Boston, and it kind of became a joke. How many times do you think I said one of Poland, two of Passy? More, more than a couple. You know, we, we were standing in Paul Revere's house, and I was just losing my mind. I just kept going, but this is Paul Revere's house. But then, it's the greatest thing so ever. Lee has this on this long like even I who I love history but I was like okay I'm done for the day with history we have to find a pool for the kids you know and uh, we're driving by Betsy Ross's house and Lee's doing business on the phone like he's doing some NSAI thing on the phone I'm like it's Betsy Ross's house like look so we don't have to come back like there it is yeah it's not all relaxing yeah the, the day we left on that vacation um they dropped uh the Department of Justice um, announced that they were going to try to impose 100% licensing on us. And I was so mad. Day one. I'm like, day, day one. one of a three-week, or almost yeah. three-week So trip. it was like, literally, one of the Warner Chapel lawyers called me as we pulled up in front of Betsy Ross's house on the hop-on, hop-off bus, and I'm sitting there talking to the L.A. lawyer about the specifics of this bill while telling the kids, Betsy Ross, there's a flag <laughs> Well, and you about got us killed in the Lincoln Tunnel. No, I was going across the George Washington, George Washington Bridge, Bridge with signs everywhere. It's illegal to talk on your cell phone. And I'm talking to Bart. Me and Bart are having this screaming, screaming fit about about some piece of litigation that we're going to have to go do. And meanwhile, you're, you're as driving we're, through American history. Yeah. knuckling across <laughs> the George. And with signs everywhere. No, uh, no, no in, in New York, trying to cry, go, go through New York at rush hour, oh crossing across the George Washington Bridge. And I'm just like, it's like, bumper to bumper. I was doing an interview with Bloomberg somewhere. We were like somewhere. There's all this stuff's going on, and I'm being interviewed by Bloomberg about it. You know, so maybe it's not that relaxing. Maybe not. But it's a good memory, kind of, <laughs> maybe. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Waiting Room series. Be sure to check back next Sunday to hear part two of my interview with the Millers. To receive a newsletter each week about a new episode, visit LibbyOlerich.com slash The Waiting Room to sign up. And if you enjoyed this series so far, please write a review on the Apple Podcast feed. I would love to hear what you think. 
I'm Libby Olerich, the host and producer of the Waiting Room series. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and the week ahead.